Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who wears his sunglasses at night. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and at my heart, I'm just a clown anyway. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. If you, uh, if we you also wear us, our sunglasses when using that. Yes. <laughs> you got to wear sunglasses at Patreon. It's just, yeah, too it's the future's product. so bright, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't talk about <laughs> Patreon's future without getting mad. So we're going to, we're going to leave off we're on not that. Gonna, we're just going to skip over that, move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, we greatly, greatly appreciate uh, your supports. Uh, this uh, this recording is our first after Ohio has essentially entered quarantine. Um, I understand Patreon supporters, current Patreon supporters, if you need to uh, uh, buy groceries, yeah, buy groceries, not not Pay give rent. us a dollar. Yeah, that is. That is perfectly fine. We get we it, man. Appreciate, we get it. We appreciate everyone's current and continued support, uh, but the world has changed in the last few weeks, and things are, uh, yeah, we don't, there are more important things to spend your money on. Also, speaking of more important things to spend your money on, let's eliminate money. Yeah, I mean, you could spend <laughs> your money on eliminating money. I think that yeah. is the best investment for your cash. I think. I think the one thing... A lot of the world's learned in the last couple weeks uh, is that uh, everything we we say, hey, we could do, and governments yeah. of the world say, no, that's too expensive. Uh, we could just do. Money's yeah. fake. Go, so, you know, use your money. Go out, buy a can of spray paint, and let the world yeah. know what you think about it. Right, right. I encourage you to do that rather than give us money. But if you want to give us money, Patreon. Yeah, we do appreciate it. We do appreciate it. We'll, we'll use it and we'll go out and buy spray paint. It's you know, <laughs> right. six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's I, I got to balance that because there's a kid in my neighborhood who uh, to this day is still spray painting uh, 9-11 truther. Um, <laughs> wow. Around wow. my neighborhood. Yeah, new stuff shows up every so often. A dollar a month over at Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion gets you access to a bonus episode. It's a non-Criterion film. We vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, you guys get to vote as supporters on what we're going to watch, rather. Uh, that dollar also gets you access to a back catalog of previous episodes. There's over 30 uh, other episodes. Uh, we have a guest pretty pretty regularly over there, though a good chunk of them are just me and Pat. Uh a lot of fun, uh, real eclectic mix of movies over there, from very bad to very good, uh, and and a lot of just fun comedies. Yeah, everything uh, in between, really. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's just it's usually non Criterion stuff. Sometimes it's Criterion adjacent stuff, but it's uh, there's a good chunk of it that are just dumb eighties comedies. <laughs> so yeah, well, and like, and that's I mean, really, those are the worst ones. We're we're trying. Right, right. Hard not to make a bad movie podcast. That's right. The goal is to definitely not do that. But it's kind of hard because, as it turns out, a lot of movies are really bad. 
a lot of movies actually are just bad. It's uh, yeah, it actually yeah. seems to be the way the movie industry works. The majority mostly of movies, bad it movies seems yeah. like maybe bad or actually just bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little above that one dollar mark, we do. Uh, we like to thank people above that uh, on air, and uh, at five dollars and above, you get thanked on air. And thank you to Christopher Otto and to Adam Spickerman for your continued five dollar and above support. Yes, thank uh, you. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note on the back and mail that off. We also like to thank those $10 and above supporters on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath. I hope you're enjoying those postcards. Yeah, we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion. If you want to get in on that. And again, we are very grateful to, uh, to everyone who is, uh, we understand in times like these, when you can't. We understand at any time when you can't. When you can't. Honestly. When you can't just mail us money. Yeah, right. I get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we are grateful to those supporters and we're grateful to you, listener. So thanks. I like I like how our Patreon ads at some point took a turn and we're actively discouraging people from sending us money. That's it's probably a good strategy, right? Like some reverse psychology nonsense. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. But well now uh, I have to send them money. They seem so pitiful. <laughs> Uh, this week, we are getting our second Jim Jarmusch movie in a row. It is spying number 401, Night on Earth from 1991. Uh, here's an interesting thing I learned about Jim Jarmusch this week, Pat. Sure. Fill me uh, in. He is uh, He's big in Japan. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, and uh, JVC, the, uh, the Japanese production yeah. company JVC, uh-huh. Funded all of his movies. I didn't know it was from all. I from knew mystery I knew from 1989's Mystery Train through 1999's Ghost Dog. I believe is the last one. You know that all kind of makes sense. Like so, his his aesthetic, as weirdly as it doesn't seem like it would, really does line up pretty well with that era of Japanese cinema. Yeah, like he has a lot in common with a lot of Japanese directors. So I guess it's not – I mean, it is surprising. But when you start to think about it, it does kind of make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, this is In That Window, uh, 1991, Night on Earth. JVC did fund this one as well. It is an international production uh, filmed on location in five cities across the world, L.A., New York, Rome, uh, Helsinki, and Paris. Uh, not in that order but in the order I remembered them. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting movie. Uh, yeah. it's, it's episodic, like the last Jarmusch movie we watched. Um, though in this case, it's more of an anthology in that the episodes are the same. They're thematically the same in that they are the same action taking place. A cab driver picks up a customer and they have a conversation right uh whereas last week's movie uh stranger than paradise it were it was episodes of the same people uh over the course of a long time um right 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 yeah uh, i mean it it is it is in that way in many ways more more of a movie and more cohesive yeah than i mean like i really liked strangers than stranger than paradise but like Nonetheless, it is 
sort of delightfully kind of incohesive. You know what I mean? Like it's not yeah, not completely. Like you can follow it. There, it's definitely followable, but it it jumps in ways that are that seem somewhat um, not random. But I, I don't know how to describe what I'm thinking. But the the way it jumps time and things like that doesn't seem to be directly. It's not like a normal linear story, right? Um, whereas, and this isn't either being five separate episodes, uh, but still feels because of the tight connection between each one, being very specifically of the theme of the cab drivers and the ca- yeah. and the passengers, feels very tight. And of course, the transitions, moving back and forth through time, to suggest that all of these instances are taking place. Not not just in one night, but even around the same time each night, really, uh, adjusted for for time zone differences. Right. Uh, yeah. tries to tries to tie them together a little more. Uh, though, a couple of them end in the morning, and uh, and the L.A. one at least starts at dusk. So we do have a uh, by the time we're we're starting to ending. We are uh, a full night, right? Yes, yeah. The, uh, the uh, even though we start in L.A. and end in Helsinki, we we start with the sun going down and end with the sun coming up, right? Right. The yeah. Rome one gets close to dawn, but we don't actually see dawn, as far as I remember. Um. But yeah. Uh. Yeah. One. I don't. I don't. I don't think we do. I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It wouldn't make sense if we did, honestly. I think I think starting with sundown and ending with sunrise is part of the uh, the structure of this movie. So right. I I I guarantee we didn't see sunrise during uh, during the Rome sequence. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a it's a really interesting series of little character vignettes. Uh, I loved this movie. I really did. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I really I. You know, it, every vignette like has to be sort of taken individually to a right. certain extent, uh, and so I liked some of them more than I liked others of them. Right. Uh, partially just because, you know, it, it's it's really fascinating because when you I watch the, um, you know, I, I you know I listen to sort of his commentary and uh, I think that Dermish has. Jarmusch has in common with a lot of other directors is he doesn't seem to want to necessarily analyze what he's made. Right. It just seems to be a running thing among directors. Like, oh, like it's just a, a good is what it them. is. Yeah, I mean, next, it's not all. But Next like, week we'll I mean. talk about a director who very much wanted to analyze everything he made. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and it's, yeah, it's not universal. I'm just saying yeah. that, like, a thing that we hear quite often is like, well, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. And right. Jarmusch does seem to fit into that category. A yeah, that's extent. a very Fellini thing, I think. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, Fellini's weird in the sense that he definitely wants to analyze the fuck out of himself, <laughs> but, but, but not the things he's made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a special case, really. But yeah. like, yeah, um, what what I'm saying is is that like, whether he likes it or not, and I I don't know that he hates it. I just think he doesn't really want to engage. Dermish in the commentary, or not in the commentary, in the sort of interview, specifically described hating his own, like, never wanting to see his own movies again. Like, never right. watching them after they come out. Like, just not 
they're done they're gone um which i i understand like i get that as a as an impulse from a creator to be like well no i i I sent that thing out into the world it's it's a very common creator impulse yeah it's and it's and i understand it um yeah and i can understand why not wanting to analyze you know is connected to that right because like to analyze your own work will require you to re-engage with a thing you already consider done and finished and constantly recontextualize it and things like that right um, and so I get uh, it. You're exercising these ideas out of you, right? Right. To... Yeah, you are. Yeah, you, and you're, so... once you're free of them, it's like, why the fuck would I want to bring this back in right. to roost right. again? Um, but that being said, um, he, despite what he, whether or not he wants to engage with it or not, the movie, each vignette is very much its own thing, right? And kind of seems to have a very different point that it's trying to make about right. people. And so Whether or not that's an intentional point, he describes his writing process as being a thing where he sort of mentally structures the characters and then sort of just plays out mentally how their interaction would go down. Right. Uh, so maybe he's not intentionally trying to create a dialogue that has a purpose, but by choosing the characters he chooses, he's still making an active choice about what the scene is going to feel like. Uh, right? Like, there's no way a creator can just have his hand completely off the off the rudder. Uh you know, it's kind of impossible, right? So, you know, in choosing the characters he does, for example, our first one where we have, you know, the the very, like, po- powerful businesswoman with, the, with the, the young woman who wants to be a mechanic has a certain vibe to it, right? Yeah. You know, sort of a, what it's about. Um, right, right. And that's kind of inescapable. You're You're talking about these being almost separate things is actually reflected in how Criterion treats them uh, too. Um, Criterion had a different uh, uh, creator from each of the countries uh, listed, uh, each of the areas that these are shot in and set in, write an essay about the section of the film on them. Normally Criterion would have one essay about the entire film, maybe two. Here they have five essays uh, about each individual section. Uh, how the CriterionChannel.com handles the commentary tracks in these are to have five separate right. commentary yeah. tracks, one for each film or each each division. Uh, it they really are five separate character studies, variations on a theme, but very different things happening and very different characters interacting, right? The drivers are all different people, very much different people. The passengers are certainly very much different people. And the connections and separations that each uh, encounter leads to are very different too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, the first one is... uh, (laughs) Two, two women of very different walks of life start to connect and uh, and form some respect between one another. And then at the end, the driver rejects further connection, right? Because it would it would undermine her her plans for the future, uh, right? And I really, I really love that. And yeah, I, 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 I'm, I also I love like that that's Winona Ryder and Gina Rollins, who we haven't seen since a Casavetta's film, I think. Right. So, uh, yeah, they're great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that one, that one is, in many ways, like, I, 
it's very interesting because in many ways that one is that one has a really interesting message, but it is also, if I'm going to be honest, sort of the least interesting one for me. Just because I feel like it's, I don't know why. Like, I don't know. I just found that one to feel not the least authentic, but I don't know how to describe my feelings about that one. It's really, like, when I watched it, it was the one that was, I was sort of, least engaged with can i make a suggestion on that that's purposeful sure. that it's yeah, LA. maybe that yeah. it's it's it is possibly the uh i think i think the rome one is its own sort of fellini-esque thing yeah totally uh, yeah the rome one is but, is, is, a, is sort of a, a comedy but the la one specifically yeah. is the most uh uh affected it's the most yeah movie-esque. that's yeah yeah, that's for sure. That that's what it is. You're right. That's what I was trying to hunt for. Is yeah. it is the one where it feels the most like people are acting. Right. And it makes sense when you consider the fact that like honestly speaking, does anybody want to have a conversation in the fucking cab? <laughs> right. No one does. And that's and and Roland's character obviously doesn't for the majority of it. Right. right. But but Ryder's character is so oblivious to the needs. Of, she's a bad cab driver. Yeah, she right? is. And it's really right. because it's also not what she wants to be, right? Like she's right. a cab driver who doesn't want to be a cab driver, but does want to be in this in this sort of industry that she's in and is sort of looking for the first way to get to the part she actually wants to do, right? Uh right. Which is a is a fascinating thing. But yeah, like it's just interesting because yeah, it's the one where they're they yeah, you're right, and and I and that you, what you're saying makes total sense. It, the problem is is that in a movie, right, it can get really tough to to break those apart for the audience, right. just because you're like, well, okay, I know that you're affecting because that's what people do in a cab when they're having a conversation they don't want to have, but also like, but I think further further what I'm saying here is that each section represents the cinematic history of the city that they're set in. Okay. Yeah, I and I saw an argument to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think LA I mean even thinking about even thinking about uh the LA section in say terms of uh Altman's shortcuts. Uh-huh. It feels like it could be part of Altman's shortcuts. It's just it's the way they come together at the beginning in that uh, it's not a split screen, but it could have been a split screen. Right, <laughs> um, right, yeah. Where they're mirroring each other and almost having a conversation with each other while they're uh, while they're on the phone, even before they meet one another. Yeah, you're um, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I get, I get it. It's just, but you know, for me, like this is very personally just for me. I found that difficult. Oh, we also hated it in Altman's shortcuts. So Right. And and it's not because like I don't think that anything that's happening in, in it necessarily is bad. I just really have a hard time with that thing. Um yeah. and and yeah. you know, I and so I and I liked the overall aesthetic and feel of the movie a lot. So I, I feel weird to like bag on a part of it that I know is that I also understand is a part of that entire whole that I enjoyed. Uh, but like watching two people like kind of essentially like fake their way through a conversation is something I have a hard time with. Right. If that makes sense, 
You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, that that awkwardness. You know what it is. That 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 faked conversation, that affected conversation, reminds me of TV shows and movies that play with the idea of awkwardness. A thing that I understand lots of people enjoy watching. I've come to understand <laughs> that human beings enjoy. A lot of people do. Really enjoy. The I, I love the TV show Bob's Burgers, yeah. but Tina legit gives me anxiety. <laughs> like real, Understood. honest to God, Understood. in life yeah. anxiety. Like I watch and I stress. When it's a Tina episode, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like I think she's I an that. amazing. I think it's an amazing character. I think everything about it is pretty great. Nevertheless, I get hyper stressed when it's a Tina episode. Yeah, and this is yeah. like that. I was kind of stressed the whole time. Like, can you guys just stop talking to each other, please? Like, let's just stop. <laughs> no more conversation. Yeah. Just do this cab ride in silence, please. Right. I get that. And and it's the sort of the sort of awkward small talk where. Uh, you know the driver's not even necessarily trying to get the passenger's attention but is doing thing it's like i took i took a lift a couple months ago uh and i try not to use lift uh i i don't i don't remember why i ended up doing it this time i think i was i had been house sitting and i needed to get all of my stuff that right. i had been out house sitting for didn't a week want, and didn't a half. want to take six bicycle trips <laughs> right right <laughs> So, uh, so I took, I took this lift and, uh, it was just easier at the time, but the guy driving was listening to a podcast <laughs> and like, like it's awkward enough if you're in the car with your friends and they put on a podcast because right. it ends yeah. conversation, right? <laughs> but then he wants well, to talk it, about it's this It's not podcast. just ending conversation. It's forcing you to have a conversation that you don't want to have. Right. Right. Like, oh, and, you are participating in this whether you fucking like it or yeah. not, man. Right, and then he wants to start talking to me about this podcast, which is like some guy talking about uh, uh, his uh, his luck at making money, um, and uh, and how he's handled his investments. And like, oh God, I have, I have zero interest in this. Oh my um, God, that's the worst thing you've ever told yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. <laughs> But, but it's still like a forced conversation. Like I want to be polite. I don't. It's it's in the same way when uh, when uh, a proselyzer approaches me on the street. Like I a couple weeks ago, I had to change my route from the bus to work three times in order to avoid being mean to Scientologists. <laughs> I didn't want to be mean to Scientologists, but I. <laughs> But they, but they force won't take, you to be mean to them. They, frankly, they won't take "I'm not interested in hearing you talk" as an answer. Um, so I had this guy essentially chasing me down a block as I quickened my step over and over again, trying to sell me on Dianetics. And I'm like, "Listen, man, I know what you're saying. I get what you're trying to sell. I'm not interested." And right. he just wouldn't stop. So well, yeah, the, the, and, but the, yeah. the big difference is, is that I mean, and there is a major difference between that and the cab ride, which is right. you're not stuck audience, in right. a in a small room, right, right. with the Dianetics guy. Like right. you're stuck in a big room, but it's a much bigger room. I could have I could have run away from the Dianetics guy, uh, if if need be, and he maybe wouldn't have given chase. Maybe, <laughs> but maybe he would have. Yeah, you never know until you try. <laughs> I was really him. actually. 
I was mad at myself, especially for that incident, because uh, I had gone around the block to avoid the Scientology tent that I knew had been set up because I could see it. Uh, so uh, I went around the block and encountered a lone, a lone Scientologist on the yeah, other side a, of the block. a rogue agent. And huh? like, yeah. I should have, I was Should've raised known. evangelical. I Should've know known, how these things man. work. They were going to have, have some, some sort of <laughs> yeah, uh, backup guy on the other side of the block. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, divide and conquer, uh, but yeah. Uh, so, what I what I mean by all that is that the Winona Ryder's character is not necessarily attempting a conversation, but what she's doing sort of forces Roland's character to engage in conversation with her. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's cla- it's a classic. It's a classic cab ride, like driver right. move. Right. Like I've driven in, I've ridden in a lot of of cabs and um especially my experience has been especially when i find myself in um in various new countries that i that i visit for work there's a lot of like uncomfortable i well they also feel some sort of obligation to kind of sort of make noise i guess to let you know that you're not being driven by a zombie or something yeah and uh yeah it's it's always uncomfortable. Then you have to say something. You have to say, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, right. Try to to try to let them both know at the same time that you don't want to have this conversation, but also you're not an asshole. Right. Right. It's like, oh sure, yeah. Oh, sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it is that you're right. And, but the problem is, is that like the I I have a hard time with that as a person. Uh, right. I get very oh, uncomfortable absolutely. very easily, and then watching other people do it doesn't make it better, but feels like it makes it worse somehow. And so, yeah. it, when it happens in movies, I don't handle it well. And the reality of the matter is, it has nothing to do with whether or not that scene is good or not. Like it is well done. I will just never ever enjoy watching it. Yeah. Uh. So you know. Right, that's that thing. But I, I, I admit that it is very well done. I and I do, I do like the sort of the, the message at the end because, you know, we get into that classic phrase of, well, everybody wants to be a star. Like everybody wants yeah. to be famous. It's like, no. That's a thing <laughs> that people who are in that industry believe is true. Right. That is not true. Right. About I think a majority of you. What yeah. and I was thinking about this. I was literally upstairs working or something in the house, thinking about this the other day. And I and I'm trying to, and I was trying to process why why people believe that everybody wants to be famous, or everybody wants to. You know, and I I don't know that everybody. I don't think it's even a little bit true. What I think it is is that the that industry mistakes people wanting to have steady in, reliable income. <laughs> right. In a job that is relatively speaking, like people don't the, want to be celebrities require danger yeah. out of egotism. They want to be celebrities out of the ability to actually have freedom to do what you want to do. Yeah, to do what you want to do and still get a paycheck every week right, or whatever. Right, like to be right. like to be to theoretically be happy. Yeah, and also have money. Right, is what people actually want. People want to be able to like yeah, like people just pay me to be me. And and, and then, that's not what celebrity actually is, I don't think, but that's the way people conceive of it when they start dreaming about it. Because what they actually just want is, I want somebody to hand me a check once a week, right. for being 
me for just doing think, whatever the fuck I want. I think that desire is unconscious, and I don't want to. Oh I yeah, no, I think so. There is yeah, no yeah. egoism involved with it. And I think I think uh, this week's uh, this week's Imagine video that went around on Twitter <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is a good <laughs> indication demonstrates that egoism that is a big part of it. Yeah, totally, uh, totally. Right. Well, because because and I and I want to be clear here. I think that it's really hard to separate these things out, right? Because right. the the people who decide that this is the best way to achieve that goal we just talked about are also ego, like are also <laughs> egotistical, right? Right. right. Like right. if you if you come up with an idea where you're like, I know the best way I can get paid to do whatever I want, I'll become a celebrity. Right. That that requires a certain sort of mental state, right? Right. That nor a lot of people just don't have. Right. Whereas Winona Ryder's character's only egoism is the fact that she's a good mechanic and she knows she's a good mechanic. Yeah, she knows it. And, she's and she a also knows that the other mechanics where women do not get respected. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Right. Totally. And and yeah. Roland's character is a woman in a field where where women also also often don't get respected. Right. right. Totally. So that's and that's, I, and that's they what they connect. bond over, right? Like that's right. the only that's what actually yeah is their right. connection, their real connection that's meaningful. Right. But but also the undermining of the expected end of that sequence of one owner writer's character rejecting the star is born uh, narrative is great, right? It's no, yeah, it I I love the ending yeah. of it. Like yeah. I think the ending is amazing. It is just a painful ride. <laughs> right, right. It's a very for me ride. for me personally. Yeah. But but in as much as that reminds me of uh, uh, an Altman L.A. based thing um, yeah. shortcuts in particular uh you know the second section the new york section uh giancarlo esposito's character is straight out of an 80s spike lee movie right right totally he's 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 brooklyn and uh, and you know and that that movie also plays with with ideas inherent to film about new york at the time but also inherent to uh, the culture of new york at the time too right the broader culture of new york Right, right. No, this is this is a guy. Racism's never mentioned, uh, but but Esposito's got a really great line. You know, he's got a really great line. I love when he's trying to hail a cab, where he says, "What am I, Invisible Man?" Uh, you know, and he's making. Right. A, I don't. I don't even know necessarily if uh, Jarmusch is purposefully making an allusion to uh, Ellison's The Invisible Man. Uh, but what am I, Invisible Man? Uh, is is a reference to that, and it, it right, it, and no one wants to go to no one wants to go to uh, Brooklyn, and he holds up the wad of cash to assure people that his intentions are noble, or at least not ignoble, right? Um, that he actually wants to go to Brooklyn, yeah, that uh, he just wants to go home, right? <laughs> so yeah. It's the again the character setups are are very much New York and the and the immigrant cab driver who who doesn't understand American custom is is out of hundreds of New York. Men, yeah, er, uh, every movie about New too. York, pretty right. much. Right. Uh, it is literally the most stereo, probably the most stereotypical character in this movie. Right. Right. But also honest. at the same time, he's not because he's rounded out to No, uh, yeah, no, he's a, actually he's actually very interesting. And like yeah. and the choice to not go with the, 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 the bad the old dumb joke of like I well, I was a surgeon back home or whatever right, that right. he was an actual clown. Right. He is, literally is, was is a, a fascinating one to go with and I love it yeah. for that. Yeah. Um 
No, it's just it it, it I. It, you can definitely like after I listen to that interview, I can feel like that what he says is true about the way these things come together, which is, well, I. I decide who the characters are and then I let them have the conversation that they would have in front of me. And I sort of just write it down. Like there, there's no actors at that time. It's just writing, but like just imagining these people and then, and then letting them sort of play out who they are. I can definitely feel that. That's definitely a thing that seems real when you are watching this. And I think that is part of what makes it seem, makes his work have the feel it has. Yeah. Which is, one of those things where, like, what's fascinating me about Jarmusch is, like, that when you watch it, the movies have the feeling as though they have that kind of, what I have always felt up until I started watching his films, the sort of clerk's feeling of, like, oh, this is just a bunch of sort of, has that sort of teenagers all fucking around feeling. Yeah. Uh, what's fascinating is that that feeling sort of, maintains into movies that are not that right like that are like they're not actually about that topic but they are they have that sort of like oh we all sort of just made this up as we went along feeling but have actually been very i think fairly clear carefully scripted out but to a certain extent feel effortless yeah is a really fascinating sort of dynamic to have in film I think. Right. Right. What, what I love about Jarmusch, and this goes back to, to down by law too, is that every character feels like they have a history really. Right. Every character and they inhabit their own history. Yes, Uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like Esposito's character here has dealt with this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and that, yeah, and that's what I mean is like when I talk about it, sort of feeling effortless. Is it's right? It's like that line that you get where you get where you cross between good and bad improv, right? Like there's like shitty like we like there's that shitty improv that you get at like just a general sort of bad improv show, and then there's the improv where when you've ever seen like a really good one where it feels like. That person's so comfortable with who this character is, right. he already they already know the answer to all the questions you could ever ask about the character because they are this person now. Right, right. And the reason and, I say it with improv is because there's still that feeling like the characters themselves are doing it rather than like the director or the script right. writer. And you actually and know Helmet that it's actually the script writer. Like, like we know that Germans <laughs> just wrote it all. Right. But it feels like the characters are just talking like it's just ah, this is just the actor being the character talking for themselves right right yeah and uh, this the new york sequence is you know it it also kind of feels like a sketch too right it does they all kind of feel like a sketch it's a little bit guy gets into a cab cab driver doesn't know how to how to get where he's going clearly can't drive an automatic because he keeps treating the brake like it's the uh like it's the clutch while he tries to switch gears, and uh, you know, so the guy, so the passenger says, "How about I drive?" <laughs> Did you watch the interview with Drummish? Uh not the longer one. I watched the short, the, the five minute one, the the one hour one. Yeah. Apparently, Drummish says this happened to him. 
Charmush, yes, Charmush, uh, he, he mentions it in that shorter one, too, that he was in New York and hailed a cab, and it was a Chinese immigrant, uh, very new to the city, who did not know. <laughs> how to drive an how automatic, to, yes. Yeah. yeah, or how to get where they needed to go. So, <laughs> And then he saw him a week later, and uh, by coincidence, saw him a week later, and the guy was doing a lot better. Learned so much about the city just in that week. Uh, which is great. Uh, yeah. You know, Helmet's not dumb. I, I feel a little bad the way this one ends because Helmet is obviously anxious at the ending of this. But he's also yeah. started to drive more smoothly by the end of this, too. Yeah, true. Like, I mean, he is he is driving fair. He's driving fairly successful at the end. Yeah. Uh, successfully at the end. I, I think, but I think it's authentic. It, it, it that his, his, concern and nervousness at the end is 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 real and good yeah because he is a he is still a person who is now in a part of the city he's never been to right who doesn't know shit about anything in this city right and he's just trying to get back to a place that he recognizes as someone who has personally done that <laughs> right. Uh, right. A, a fairly large amount in my life it is a nerve-wracking experience it is it is oh, a great one when you fucking figure it out. It right. feels so good. Like when you have done that and then the next time you can just do it, it's fucking amazing. Right. right. But that and first about, time is scary as shit. And there's no it's way the around. nervousness of being in an unfamiliar place, not necessarily right. any nervousness about the other people in that unfamiliar place. Right. Yeah. You're not scared of the people. Right. What you're scared of is like I I could of being fuck lost this forever. up. Right. Yeah, you you get to this point where you mentally say to yourself, where you have to try to get over the fact that you say to yourself, like, I could right. fuck this up so bad, I could never get home. And one one good thing Jarmish does here is that Helmet's anxiety is not triggered by some sort of gang violence or no, or yeah, no. black people being doing a thing he's not used to them doing in Brooklyn, but a car accident, and he could very well get into a car accident tonight right yeah it's know? a very real possibility right. for him that's not based on like necessarily the actions of other people right. but the reality of the position he's in now right which is risky he's in a he is in a a scary risky position that eventually he will hopefully get out of in the sense that like life for immigrants is hard like really right. really scary and right. hard so there's no guarantee the helmet will make it out of this all okay Right. Like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like he's probably going to get home fine today. Generally speaking, it's not Hopefully. a guarantee, but not a guarantee. But right? There's a there's definitely not a guarantee, but there's a decent chance he will make it home today. Yeah. Uh, but it's still very scary. It's crazy scary. Um, It's like literally one of the most scary things you could possibly ever do. Oh, absolutely. And then you combine that with the fact that like you're also in a just generally life scary position of like. I could also fuck this up so bad that I'm not going to make it home has a different meaning to it. Right, right. Especially depending on what country you're in and how that country treats immigrants. Right. Uh, which, right. you know, the country he's in is not notoriously good at that It's per se. It also, this interaction reminds me of something I was told by a New Yorker friend of mine who I was visiting a few years ago, uh, is that uh, New Yorkers will do anything for you as long as they feel like they're doing you a favor. 
right? As long, as long as as long as they feel like they're saving you from something, and like that's that's also how Yo Yo interacts with Helmut, right? That, that you know, it's not like he's frustrated and he's he's doesn't want to do it, but all right, all right, I'll be this guy's savior if I have to. It's just you know, it's it's something it's something that has been independently described as New York culture to me, and see it in action here uh, is also interesting, right? Right. Yeah, I I can definitely you can definitely feel that it feels very authentic to the to the way somebody would help, and um, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And then the Paris one is like a lost love noir thing going on, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 just as interesting, but it's got it's got some of the the racial politics in in uh, uh, France that we've talked about with previous movies, um, and and uh, and broader than France too. Um, Ali Fierits the Soul deals with this sort of thing, and yeah, uh, and certainly the the more recent uh, uh, what was the what was the name of that movie about the 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 young men in Paris in the nineties that we just, Oh, we just it was really good. What was it? Oh, poop. Uh, I can't think of it, but yeah, can't, I can't either. Right. Uh, but, I know but what this you're is talking about, yeah, this is one that also, that also deals with racism sort of overtly, uh, without naming it too. Right. Uh, no, it's one, it's one where, uh, that deals with classism too, right? Though, because the Cameroonians are are classist against the Ivory right, Coast. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not exclusively driver. a race issue. Right. Yeah. It is. Um, well, I find that one really fascinating because it shifts between those two things so right. seamlessly. You start off like all the other ones. You start off and end kind of knowing what it is. Right. You know, you enter the scenario, and it is that scenario for the duration of that episode. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, but this one actually shifts midway and makes you deal with something different halfway through. Right. Well, the New York one kind of does that too, by introducing Rosie Perez character halfway through. Right. True. That's true. That's true. I I wasn't thinking about it that way, but that's, that is true. Right. Cause, cause at that point it goes, it goes from a two man, almost like Laurel and Hardy banter thing to, uh, to Rosie Perez just dominating the the frame, really. Right. Yeah. You know, she's right in the center there in the back seat. Um, but yeah, but this one in a similar way, it it <clears throat> there is a dramatic shift in what's what's happening, right? Uh and it's you know, it's intersectional too, right? Like this guy's dealing with classism and then dealing with racism and then dealing with with in the middle, he's dealing with a woman who who sort of has every right to be antagonistic to him just as a right and, and it's the Paris, and well it's right. neat in this what's neat about this one that i i really i really like this one is that suddenly it shifts in a it, it shifts multiple times right we're dealing we're dealing with classism at, at the beginning and then it shifts in a different way to dealing with the fact that like this person can also be bigoted in a, in it in his own special way right to towards another kind another group of people right like he's not he is doing what can be he's doing a kind of bigotry that is very pervasive in the world which is 
that sort of like, oh, you're from this other group. I need to learn about you kind right. of thing. Right. Right. I'm interested in you because of not who you are, but what you are. Right, right. Which, this... if it had been done to him, would make him so mad, right? Yes, yeah. Right. And it's and it's that thing where we can all do that to each other all the yeah. time I without think... reali- without really thinking about what we're doing. While and then it shifts a... back. Yeah. yeah. A while back, there was a Twitter hashtag: uh, "I am not your teachable moment." About exactly right, exactly. This sort yeah. Of a thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. And then it can suddenly shift back because. Then we then we still see that he is also at the end part of a severely disadvantaged group, right? And, and, and that is as as enlighten enlightening elements of this movie go. This one and the Helsinki one are the most sort of intensely about feel the most like Jarmusch is actually trying to teach you a lesson, right? Right. Which which sort of to a certain extent flies in the face of what he says about the way he both does things and writes and thinks. Yeah. But I guess at the same time, right, if you go into a thing with the right mindset. Well, I think the, the lesson to be taught here is empathy, right? And I, well, right, I, think, yeah. I don't think Jeremy would argue that he's not trying to portray empathy in a positive light at any moment. No, no, no. no. So. That's not what I meant. What I meant was is that, like, when you tell me that you create your stories by by cooking up characters and they're just seeing how they would react in an environment, yeah. it seems somewhat unlikely that those two those characters would shit out a teachable moment. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like because like they don't and so the only way you can interpret that is either A there is some more intention to that behavior, like to that right. design, right? Or alternatively, watching real, like a sort of realistic depiction of the way people interact in real life with the right mindset will sort of teach you a thing about the way you ought to behave. Right. right. Yeah. The thing about the Paris sequence is that it, it starts with our driver experiencing classism, and ends with our driver experiencing racism, and the entire middle is the passenger calling him out for his ableism, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is that's is fascinating. Not unrealistic. Right. Just, it, 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 all I'm saying is is that, like, it's either, the it's there's a lot of possibilities here. It is either, A, that he's purposely trying to, to teach or, right. or convey a specific point, which I, does go against sort of what he says about the way right. he writes. B, you're, we're just operating in the right mindset to get a good, an important message out of what would be a realistic scenario actually happening. Yeah, and, and it's I just think, good writing. I think that's what's happening here. Is that this is a realistic situation? Someone, right. Someone often, you know, that's what intersectionality is about, right? The fact that that you can experience these lacks of privilege in certain areas, uh, but but still exercise privilege in other areas. And it's about understanding how those circles intersect, right? Right. And how they intersect for different groups of people and different individuals. Uh, so the, the 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 final thing that I wanted to kind of get a get to about that is if it is just good writing, and we're in the right mindset, and this is just a thing that is real, which I admit is all true. It make it puts in startling contrast the fact that most films don't feature things that are obviously a part of real life, right? right. You know what I mean? Like this is not a scene. 
that would happen in a majority of the movies even that you and I would watch right. for this podcast. Right. Absolutely. Uh segueing which that makes it very special. Yeah. Segueing that into the Rome scene, which could be pulled from any <laughs> Fellini movie yes, and completely could. completely undermines any idea that the rest of this is about empathy is is scene 4 which pulls that all to a screeching halt <laughs> to have Roberto Benigni be a clearly clearly insane man who antagonizes a priest <laughs> to death <laughs> but is also one of the best things i've ever watched in my entire life let's Absolutely. be very clear it's probably one of the funniest things i have ever seen yeah period uh i the the part where he realizes he's wearing sunglasses <laughs> i died <laughs> I fucking died, Adam. Yes. I'm watching this movie at like four o'clock in the afternoon with my children taking a nap, and I <laughs> I literally woke them up from their nap. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, I, I fucking it. died. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Everything. Everything about Benini here is great. Uh, yeah, and and we've seen him working with Jarmusch before in Down My Law, uh, and he he was wonderful in that too. Uh, but Roberto Benigni here, he is, he is, you know, he is not actually paid to be a clown, but he's a clownish person here. He makes the radio noises with his mouth as we're introduced yeah, yeah. to him. It's so good. He he purposely drives the wrong way down a series of streets, and then so and then when the police can I point at something him, out? And I I don't yeah. know if the interview you listened to had this in it, but apparently this is also a real story <laughs> about Benigni. Yeah. Apparently, I, this is how they spent their time together. Yeah. Is Dramush recounts this as a thing that actually happened. That the Benini thought this was the funniest shit in the world to do to him when they were together in Italy. Driving down the wrong way, uh, driving <laughs> the wrong way on one-way roads. To what extent did Benini start recounting his childhood sexual encounters? To I can't, I can't. I, now I'm trying to remember the entire interview. Two parts of this story were real. Yeah, the driving down the road the wrong way, and one other part, and I can't remember what it, it wasn't. The, the childhood sexual <laughs> fantasies and yeah, and exploits. It was like um, it was one other element of the whole thing. I, what was it? I could. Oh, I, can't, I can't remember. It was some, there was one other part of it that was re, he he claims is real. I I would think it is more realistic to believe that Roberto Benigni was trying to make Jim Jarmusch uncomfortable in Italy upon their oh, first I'm visit sure. together. Than, no, I and I think Jarmusch also taxi knows driver that. purposely purposely. No, 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 no. It was piece. it was actually Benigni doing it to yeah. Jarmusch. Like yeah. that's the story. But they based the jokes off of the fact that Benini thought this was funny to do to Jarmusch. Right, right. And Jarmusch also thought it was funny, sort of, oh, I guess, in hilarious. hindsight. Uh, spe- Probably uh, not so funny at the time, yeah. honestly. Uh, side note, the, the priest here is actually played by uh, the Duke, one of the aristocrats from Salo. The same actor. Oh, really? Yeah. Which, which oh I think God. adds an extra layer to this too. Yeah, one I didn't realize, but yes, yeah. you're right, it does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
Yeah, making the priest ta- chase him, and and whether or not any of these stories are true, the fact that he just keeps upping the ante, right? You know, it it, it makes more oh, sense. Oh, I remember what joke, the other right? part that was real was is the the joke about that. The, apparently, that hotel is a real place. Oh yeah, the Genius Hotel. The Genius Hotel, and their joke okay. about about yeah. who stays there. Good. Not the funniest part of that entire bit, no. but no, like, not actually. But it's just those are the two real elements that like actually they did. Yeah. And then just dropping the priest off at the bench at the end. It's, yeah. Uh, right. Right. This, like I said from the beginning, this one feels this could be a Fellini bit, right? This could happen in in. Well, this is the strongest sort of proof of what you were talking about right. about this sort of each one containing within itself a sort of homage to yeah. the film history of that place, right. like. This being essentially a Fellini film compressed right. down into, you know, whatever it is, 10 minutes or 20 minutes, tracks to that argument, as do I, the other ones. But this one, I think, is the right. clearest one that tracks to that argument. I don't know, man. I think the Helsinki sequence uh, being so steeped in trying to make you depressed <laughs> yeah, is okay. pretty true so, yeah, to you're, the Nordic right. film tradition. You are right about that. You're not wrong. <laughs> Um, you're not wrong. I, I would, I would say that in many ways, uh, for your argue, as per your argument, the Helsinki one doesn't go far enough. <laughs> they don't talk about God, I suppose. Yeah. So. There, it is a not in black and white. Um, <laughs> it is B does not, it is not 10 times longer than all the other sequences. <laughs> It does not have a long, long, depressing stare off into the sunset sort of shots on our main character. Uh, it is missing. It has a lot of that, but I think right. po- it is possibly because of the of the fair. possibly because of the sort of the form that he had already established in the other ones, he couldn't go full Nordic film uh, on it because people would like maybe leave. Yeah. Now, now it is fair Why to is say. Why is this section two hours long and the rest of them are only 20 minutes each? I can't. I don't believe either of us are familiar with, like, all of the actors in the Helsinki sequence are normal cadre of actors working with uh, the Karismaki brothers, uh, Aki and Mika, uh, who are film directors in uh, in Norway who... I'm not familiar with either of their works. I, I um, am not either. They, he talked a lot about it in the yeah. um, in the interview and quite extensively talking about yeah. how amazing their films are and everything. Excuse me, I'm not equipped to talk about them. Right, right. I so no I don't, enough. I don't know enough about their their style particularly uh, to uh, to speak to how much of that. Uh, specifically, Jarmusch right. is referencing here, but but generally Nordic film that we've seen, right? And I like in the in the general context of Nordic film, yeah, this is significantly less Nordic film than a Nordic film could be. Yes, yes. I don't even know that we've seen a lot of explicitly Norwegian film. I don't. I, I think we've only actually either. seen maybe a, a couple. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So you know when we when we talk about Nordic film and 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 the we're ideology here, we're talking film. mostly Swedish or or Danish to a certain extent. You know, um, uh, a lot of uh, Bergman and uh, and uh, Dreyer. Um, yeah, 
you know. And and those two, it's really if you if you were to form a nexus between uh, Bergman and Dreyer, you can definitely you can definitely imagine what that film would look like if you just right. sort of slammed right. them together. Right. This is not that. Right. <laughs> Right. This isn't this isn't as over the top that I don't think I don't think uh, with the context of the rest of the film, I don't know that uh, 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 Jarmish could have pulled that off without it being a joke. Without that, it that's being, what I was saying is that right. it, I don't I don't think I mean, he could have, yeah. but it would have been so disjointed for the rest of the right. film that it would have been painful. Right. In right. some way. Right. Right. Whereas whereas this sequence is realistically depressing. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, no, it actually what this one what this sequence tracks with is what I've seen in more modern um I've not watched for we've not for this podcast watched a lot of these kind of films, but I've seen a few sort of Norwegian, Nordic, more modern uh like mysteries and stuff. Yeah. And it does it, the tonally it feels like obviously those are mysteries and this is a this is more of just a sort of depressing character study. Uh but like that, that sort of the style does feel that way. Like, oh, you're using color now. This is what it looks like now, kind of. You thing. You know what? No, you. In saying that, you've triggered. We have watched at least one Norwegian film, uh, nineteen ninety-seven, the original Insomnia. Oh, I'm trying to remember that. That was. Uh, it's it's been a while, but but it's you know it's uh, much much like uh, Nolan's. English language remake. It is about a police detective who uh, can't sleep. Uh, oh right, yeah, yeah, sunless, yeah, yeah. Okay, the and then, area. and then and yeah, and then I've or, seen other films or the in that sort of, yeah. and it does visually and like kind of stylistically look yeah. like that. Like that sort of like oh well, we're making a Norwegian film. I guess everything will be kind of blue, uh, <laughs> right. and and the pacing and some of that stuff has that feeling to it. Um, and like I said, you know, like I've watched other films that are like other, you know, you they're not that hard to access these days. Right. A lot of them get translated or are originally scripted in English, so they're relatively easy to get a hold of. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, is Helsinki far enough north to be the in the polar night or polar day? I don't know. Like like we see the sunrise at this point, right? You know, so it's yes, not. Yeah, we yeah, see we a do. we see a night to day cycle here. So they're not, and it's winter. So that would I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what that suggests. Um, but well, but I mean, yeah, we don't we don't yeah. know anything though, because like right. legitimately, that could be the sun could be rising at like eleven o'clock in the morning for all we right. know. Right, right, right. We also have no idea how long this trip has taken, even if we know what time it's. <laughs> it's taken them long started. enough that they've right. exited the, the 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 winter season. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> it is. It is now. It is now the solstice, and uh, uh, we've been in this cab for six months. That's very. That's very <laughs> Nordic film. Too, yeah, right? that, that only makes it more more so. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. The and, and this one builds like a tragic joke too right like 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 this oh he lost his job and then he walked out and his brand new car was destroyed and then he got home and he found out his wife or his 16 year old daughter was pregnant and then his the way he reacted caused his wife to to say she wanted a divorce and then the cab driver says oh you think that's bad yeah um, no like that the the cab driver goes into like 
And and it does if it weren't so fucking depressing, <laughs> right. you would think right. it was gonna be a joke. Yeah. You would right. feel like, Oh, this is right. gonna end in a punchline. But like right. the tone tells you, No, this is not gonna be funny. No, this none is not of gonna what, be none of what happens here is gonna be funny, even a little bit. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I mean I I, I I actually very, very, very much enjoy the Nordic, yeah. the, the the Helsing I also, one. It's it's. I, I also like, like that these guys take the wrong lesson from what's happening here too, right? <laughs> yeah. Because in the end, they're like, they're like, uh, Aki, Aki shouldn't feel bad, and we shouldn't feel yeah. bad for Aki because yeah. other people have it I, worse. It's like I can no. go fuck himself. Yeah. It's no, like, no, 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 not... no, no, no. You did not understand what. <laughs> and they fucking leave him behind. Right. Right. Like as a as a punchline to what is otherwise as a punchline, it is the it is the right. only one that is kind of could be tasteful, right? In this in this part because you, you know you can tell that Jarmusch to a certain extent wants to keep some levity in his film, and the only way to do that is something like that because you couldn't actually turn it into a joke, right. not completely. So. So having his friends take the wrong lesson and then abandon him, right, right, is kind because of the closest the you can get lesson. to a joke yes. without like ruining right. your film, right, right, yeah. And then the the film sort of still does bookend, as I already said. You know, sunset and and everyone closing up, and then sunrise here with just the last passenger sitting on the curb as the city around him wakes up, and everyone says good morning right. to him. Because they all know who he is. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, because it's his neighborhood in Helsinki, and they all live. I love, I love the point in the sequence. Where it's <laughs> yeah, revealed no, that they all good, live on that the is same the block. Best joke in this section. They all, they all live on the same block after they spent just spent two minutes arguing over which one's going to be dropped off first. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, we all live like on you know, the same block. Yeah. We only live three minutes from each other, or whatever. Right. Right. It's so good. Yeah. Uh it really. Yeah, this is this is phenomenal. well, and then, and you get into this thing like I I actually feel in many ways that we we do I I how where does fishing with John fit into the to the oeuvre in terms of timeline? Oh, um, fishing with John came out I think just after this. Okay, because uh, that this, that ru- this movie is okay. nineteen ninety one, right? And fishing with John. Uh, I mean, first off, Fishing with John had to have been, like, filmed over the course of this time period, right? Right. Just because right, he's, yeah. he's traveling around the world. That's not, that's not like one summer. But it premiered in 91. Okay. The reason why I was trying to figure that out is just that, like, in many ways, these films, for me, keep kind of escalating in how much I enjoy them. Yeah. And I and I'm starting, and I don't know that this is necessarily true, but I sort of mentally started to track them to be like that's at least with regards to how I view him, Jarmusch getting better. Yeah. Well, well, fishing with John also. It, I mean, Jarmusch is in the first episode, but it's not his project. Right. He's that's not, true. Like, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, so far, I don't know, because Stranger Than Paradise came out before Down by Law, right? And I'd say I liked Stranger Than Paradise better than I liked better Down by Law. Down Not by that Law. I didn't like Down by Law. I love them both. But I, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. I but get if it. I were to, like, I, I would agree too. That's a yeah. that for me as well. Yeah. I don't um, know. I I like this one. I I enjoyed Stranger Than Paradise, but 
But I like this one. It's actually an order of magnitude differently, but better. Yeah. I I found Stranger Than Paradise interesting and engaging, and it was a good watch. This one I like like I like it a lot. Yeah. Like I if I now I have a mental image of what like I think of as Jarmusch. Like I had other images because Down by Law and to me Down by Law and Stranger Than Paradise kind of fit together. They have a similar feel in a lot of ways. Right. Right. This one is this that but like kind of like refined and and more I don't know more carefully crafted. Have you have you ever seen Coffee and Cigarettes? I have. I don't yeah. remember a damn thing about it because I watched <laughs> probably, it in college and somebody right, made me right, watch it. Right. Because Coffee oh, and Cigarettes is one of those ones that like all your film nerd friends, right. air quotes film nerd friends, yeah, but, but, make you watch. But that's because Coffee and Cigarettes is sort of the pinnacle of what he's trying to do with Night on Earth. It's, you know, it's a series of conversations in cafes between different people and there's like just tons of them. Right. <laughs> right, but interestingly enough though, he talked about that in the interview. Yeah. And apparently they are very very different in both origins and sort of result in his mind. Huh. Interesting. and cigarettes is not scripted in this way. Yeah. And it's also was always meant to be like little short features, yeah. whereas this was intended to be a full-length feature film. Right. This this and, is intended he, to work all together, whereas coffee and yes. cigarettes were meant to be like their own little shorts. Exactly, and uh, and I think that is a big for me. That makes this I my preferable film. Yeah, like I found coffee and cigarettes again. It's been twenty years since I watched it. <laughs> right, maybe at least fifteen. Uh, it's somewhere a very long time ago. I don't remember it very well, but I remember at the time feeling like mm, this is maybe not. Not for me. Um, I did not enjoy it that much. I might like it better now. I am yeah. definitely a different person than I was 17 years ago <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to think about how like how long ago freshman year was. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that well, math in my head. As it turns out, uh, about 17 years. So. Okay. Well, I did the math right eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always I because this has what I feel is a more careful hand applied to it. Yeah. I like it better. Yeah. And that's just um, me. That's a personal opinion. I think a lot of people would disagree with me. Right, right. Right. Right, I get that. Yeah. No, I really I really really love this. And I really love it, you know, particularly in the in the lens, you know, I've been talking about it as as sort of ideological homages to the film cultures of five different cities around the world, right? Mm-mm-mm. Though not yeah. around the world, the world, you know, still. Well, he addresses that as well. Yeah, does he? Yeah, no, the the, the interview, the Q&A session is pretty neat if you can deal with the fact that, like, it is straight up you staring at clocks <laughs> that are not moving <laughs> while Jim Jarmusch just talks. Yeah. And, and doesn't audio. answer a lot of questions. Like, yeah. It's it is literally apparently uh, viewers like uh, audio like people yeah, was, who follow the Criterion Collection could right. write into the Criterion Collection to ask him questions and he would answer them. But he got to pick the questions he answered. Yeah, uh, and go. so he really picks through them and answers some of them, but not all of them, and answers a lot of them sort of dissatisfactorily. But you do get <laughs> some nuggets. Like a lot of them, he's just like, I can't answer that. Like I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, 
dude, you picked the question. Why are you? You just right. want to say in your video that you can't answer it. That's your goal here. I mean, I get it. Maybe it's you're not a bad goal, a lot man. of that. Qu- <laughs> it's like-, like, I get it. You're getting asked that question a lot, I assume. Right. And you want to, like, put it to bed. But it's still very funny to think, like, oh, I chose this question that I cannot answer. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he addresses the fact that he, if he ever got the opportunity, he is very well aware of the fact that it is not the the earth and that he finds the title he gave it somewhat stupid. Yes. That he, that it wasn't even the original title, but the other title was even worse. I can't remember what it was anymore. <laughs> I wish like I, I kind of. Uh, if you watch it, it's, it's early on in that video. Yeah. I, I just can't remember. Um, it was in the same vein, but even more sort of like, what we call it almost pedantic or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he is well aware of that fact and said like, oh, you know, and named a bunch of places he'd like to have done it. But, you know, you know, if wishes were fishes or whatever. Right. <laughs> but, right. Um, right. And then, and then said he really, really wish he could have done it in Tokyo, and yeah. perhaps like uh, he really wanted to do it in like um, uh, Istanbul or something, or, or uh, Tehran or something like that. Yeah, some more, some truly like not Western, right. like truly right. not yeah. European cities, and just, it was not possible. And then he would love, and like one of the viewers literally asked, "Do you want to make a sequel?" And he's like, "Yes, I would love to do this again." In different cities, because yeah. like the goal was to just show what people interacting is like in these places. Yeah, this does bring up an interesting point that I think is worth addressing before we kind of wrap it up, which is it's still Jarmusch writing dialogue in English for people from that place, and even if he's getting feedback, you do run into the problem that you always run into with these kind of things, where where you've got this guy from this place and this time with these ideas, trying to write what other people in other places think. Right, right. Which is always a little bit fraught, right? Like, I think he does a, a decent job here, but that doesn't change the fact that, like, does he know how a blind woman in Paris feels? Right. Like, That's there's right. always that issue. And even with even an author with getting extreme feedback, that's always a. I feel it's not. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Right. It's just that like it's always run the risk that you are not really being authentic to the feelings right. and ideas of a person that you're trying to talk about. Yeah, the Rome one's an outlier there because he's just letting Benini be Benini and do the same thing that Benini had done to him, right? <clears throat> with a different escalation, but, um, but yeah, no, you're you're accurate to say, uh. And that's that's another reason I feel like steeping this in the film history of those areas is is a good framing because it's not necessarily steeped in a cultural history uh, like uh, like a general social right. It's not history. trying to necessarily be super authentic to what the right. people fe- right. like real people feel, but at the same time, in his interview, he does sort of try to frame it that way because that's what right. is interesting for him is. The idea of investigating, like, what does a conversation in a cab right. look like right. for different people in different places? And the problem with that is, of course, the fact that he doesn't actually know. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, and I, and that's not trying to be mean because, like, again, I think he did a really good job. But, like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, could he write a scene of, like, two people in Tehran or two people in Istanbul getting into a cab together? 
in a way that is fair and good. Right. Right. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. We'll never know the answer to that question. But yeah, uh, it is worrisome to think about. I understand that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, uh, it'll be a while before we see another Jim Jarmusch uh, mystery train. We'll watch at spine number five twenty one. Uh, one hundred twenty spines from now, uh, which oh, is boy. a little over two years. Uh, yeah, yeah. And our last, our last Jarmusch in the collection right now. Uh, For the one now. after that is. Uh, spine 919 uh, wow. is Dead Man from uh, So far in the future. It, it yeah. might as well be a, it will probably what, be a different decade. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is very I, far away. Like, it, is, it is weird to me that as we've gone along with this, we... This the, the sort of tone, not like partially because of what the Criterion Collections decided to do in the last couple of years, but like ha- how the tone has changed because we're now like looking at things and going, well, that's ten years from now, <laughs> and it's like that's a really weird way to have to frame a podcast, a, a yeah. functionally sort of a fundamentally sort of recreational behavior to be like, well, right, in a right. decade and a half when we get there, wait, wait, what? Right, we we are. I think we're we're not the longest running podcast, certainly, and we're not no. probably the one that's going to run for the longest in the end. But we are perhaps one of the few uh, who can say we uh, we're more or less definitely going to be still doing this in ten years if we want to actually yeah, I mean, finish we, what we're trying I mean, to do. Yeah, I mean, we we essentially have con uh, as long as the until the Criterion Collection goes out of business, infinite content. Right. Right. Ever growing, which is kind of a scary thought. Yeah, um, uh, I'm gonna give myself anxiety. We should. <laughs> okay, I Pat, don't want to think about this anymore. Pat, breathe deep. Breathe yeah, deep. Hold it. My ch- child will be in college. Let it out when we watch a Jim, the next Jim Jarmusch film, or the last. <laughs> well, not Jim the Jarmusch next one, film. but no, no, not the not the next but one, but the last one. Yes. Uh, well, uh, next week we will be watching another. Uh, weirdly episodic film, uh, but a very different one. <laughs> uh, Louis Buñuel's 1969, The Milky Way, the first film. Finally, we've been working our way through backwards. Uh, we've been working our way backwards through a loose trilogy of Buñuel films. Uh, this is The Milky Way, which ideologically was then followed by the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie and then The Phantom of Liberty. Um which we have both seen previously, but the Milky Way is, uh, I think, one of the more obtuse. You know, yeah, films we're going to get to find out what Janelle so. thinks about various elements of Christianity. Yeah, of of Catholic dogma in particular. Uh, so yeah, hooray uh, for us! <laughs> so we'll be talking about that next week, and. Uh, I suppose we look forward to that. Uh, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Leon Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.